White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how is your evening going? Oh, pretty good. A pretty solid weekend. Uh, a Bears-free Sunday, always good. Um, Got a lot done, I think, this weekend. What about you? What do you guys have going on over there? Nothing much. We're a little apartment shopping right now. So one in, um, I think, Edgewater slash Uptown, and then another couple in South Loop. And uh, I think we're going to be moving to the Uptown area very soon, probably February or January. Uptown baby for the crown baby? Um, Let me just give you some unsolicited advice, okay, about apartment shopping. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not only a place to live, but it's a place you call home. So you're welcome. So if there's anything you can do with that, if it changes your opinion on any of the places you've seen, you're welcome. So thank you, sir. <laughs> I now I'm retroactively going back and uh, thinking about that. As thank you, you sir. as you should. Yeah. Um, I uh, I've been tooling around this weekend a little bit trying to to support some of my favorite local businesses. I went and got a bunch of alcohol from Revolution Brewing, mm. and then we went and got dinner from Kuma's Corner, which is uh, not far from nice. there. Last night. So you know, trying to, to wait two hours. Them. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, it's co- quite a different scene at Kuma's Corner. It's nothing but DoorDash and Grubhub people like just going in and out. I think they'll be okay, Kuma's. It's not. That's good. Yeah, so I, I don't worry about Kuma's. You know, obviously you worry about you know the staff. Like there seem to be a solid you know size of of people working there, so that makes you feel good. Uh, but yeah, you just hope they can. Uh, you know, many businesses like them can survive uh, this winter here. But yeah, it was good. And- nice- if we're shouting out a business, I would like to take some people we've done this weekend. Um, Lizzie J's Cafe, Lizzie J Cafe here in, uh, uh, um, what's it, Ravenswood, North Center, Lincoln Square area. It's right on Montrose. We went today to Hay Haymarket uh, Brewery ah. and got some uh, beer. My guy, uh, Jay, who makes that 83 Honey Ale, yeah, uh, Harold's Honey Ale. We got another problem. That one got another growler of that, and then tonight I think we're gonna get some um, Lady Gregors. Is that only a growler now? The the eighty three ale, or is that six packs too? I we've only had it in the growler. We have never had it in the six packs. So okay, we've had it two separate times. So uh, this will be our third actual growler that we're gonna be taking down of that eighty three. Excellent, excellent. And uh, just a, a quick note: you've heard us mention uh, Kimski on the podcast before, mm-hmm. and their uh, their neighboring pizza, fried chicken, and ice cream a spot ran by my guy Chef Juan Kim. They're actually doing something really cool. So if you know anyone that's in need of a meal, what they're doing is they they've transformed Kimski right there on Thirty First Street, uh, just west of. Halstead, um, they're doing what they're calling a community kitchen. 
So people who don't have uh, the luxury of, of knowing where their next meal is coming from, they can go to the community kitchen and they're serving up some of the great uh, meals that Kimsky has to offer, but on a pay it forward basis. So if you, if you don't have money, you can just go get a meal. And then the idea is if you do have money, you're paying it forward for the next person. So that that's sort of how this whole thing works. So uh, tip of the cap to them trying to do some good uh, in, in these trying times. So yeah, so shout out to all of our favorite local businesses out there. But uh, tonight we have a special Sunday night edition of Locked on White Sox. And we have a few news items that we wanted to touch on during the week that we haven't really had a chance to talk about. Um, the first uh, thing I have on, on my sheet here for White Sox uh, news and notes is, uh, well, first of all, let's let's back it up. This is episode 75, Herbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seventy-five, and there's only not a lot of choices. There really, seventy-five. There really isn't a, a lot of choices here for number seventy-five, and uh, there's a lot about this guy in the in the upcoming mailbag episodes uh, in terms of guys you know being thrown out there as as sweeteners in a, in a trade. But there's only one man who's worn the seventy-five for the White Sox, and uh, you know who that is. Allow me to introduce you to my. You mean Mercedes? Uh, your mean Mercedes uh, with number 75 this year. He got one at bat, just one at bat for the White Sox in 2020. And, uh, you know, I don't know what his future holds for the White Sox. I do know he can hit. And I'm kind of uh, upset that we didn't see uh, him get enough playing time in 2020. So hopefully that'll change either on the south side or elsewhere. And we kind of mentioned uh, a little beef in the Dominican Winter League. That's who was at the center of it. Uh, your mean Mercedes tweeted uh, before heading to the Dominican Winter League, like he's going there, like he is the best player in the world or something like that. I asked my wife, who uh, is first generation, you know, she she was born here, but her parents are from Guatemala. So I asked her to translate these tweets between Yermin Mercedes and Ronald Acuna. Uh, there were tweets in Spanish, and I was like, babe, can you just tell me what's going on here? What are they saying? Because if you put it in the Google Translate, it doesn't quite uh, you know, translate as efficiently. And she's like, hey, they're, they're Dominican. You know, I'm Guatemalan. Like, it's different all over. You know, it's Spanish. It's not necessarily Spanish, no matter where you go. So the way she best yeah. summarized it is like, Yermin said he was going to the Dominican Winter League with the mindset that he was the best player you know, ever, right? And then Ronald Acuna with the throws the the clown emojis, laughing at him, saying, "Basically, you barely played in the majors, so who are you to talk like this?" So there was mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a little little beef there. I've not paid attention to what your means been doing in the Dominican Winter League. I suppose we could look it up, but yeah, that was just an interesting note. Uh, the most recent thing of note that your mean Mercedes has done in a White Sox uniform. Yeah, I was uh, thinking like you know the difference between Dominican. Spanish and Guatemalan and other ones would be like ours. Like everybody speaks English for the most part here in America, but you know, certain uh, fractions speak different type of English. Like people from Boston speak with a weird accent and also different dialects. Black people, some speak in a different dialect than, you know, regular middle America white people. So those things, if you ask a, a white dude to come to Chicago and go out South and, you know, translate for him. He'd be like, I, I, this is English. I clearly can hear what he's saying, but this is not what I know. So I, it, I can kind of equate it that way. Uh, just a quick, you know, cap in this discussion on your mean Mercedes here. Do you, do you think he has any fit on, on the current version of the White Sox roster in 2021? I, I don't think so. What do you think? I think um, they're already 
pretty much saying that Zach Collins is the backup. He's the guy that they're going to go with. I mean, it looks like James McCann probably will not, won't come back. You know, that's we've been saying that for a while. Maybe this will socks and James McCann surprises, but he's been saying he wants to be a starter in this league. He's earned that right to be a starter. So I think the White Sox favored Zach Collins multiple reasons. They drafted him and he's a left-handed bat, and then he gets on via the walk. So I think they want to be right about the pick, especially Rick. You know, he picked him, so he's like, you know, I'm going to give him a chance to fail, not just one season where he's the third catcher on a team in a 60-game season. So I think they're going to have uh, Zach Collins do the thing until the until he proves that he can't or that Yasmani is done with his contract, and then they're going to happily move Zach right into the starting role. And now it, it complicates things even further. Not like Jake Berger would be able to play in 2021 with the White Sox, but but you know he's looking good. He tweeted a video of himself in the cage earlier this week where he's he's slimmed down a lot. The swing looks good, and so you know that's a guy that a lot of us have written off uh, because of the injuries. But he looks like maybe a guy that could you know uh, get get his his spot back in the White Sox top prospects list with a, with a little bit more time. You know, maybe getting on the field and playing some games this year in the lower levels if there indeed is going to be minor league baseball we certainly hope so but you know the, the Sox have a little bit of a glut of DHs and I would love to see mm-hmm. them make some moves and try to get rid of some of this excess weight because they're not going to get any better not playing here uh, guys like Zach Collins your mean Jake Berger they're, 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 they're not going to be able to play much on the current roster unless someone goes down with an injury which you would hate to see but I just I just don't know where guys like that fit and hopefully they can work out a creative trade where these guys can get a new landing spot get some playing time and, and advance their major league careers because I just do not think that it's happening on the south side. So uh, here we go. Okay, so we, we've got some stuff here, uh, some news. Uh, Kenny Williams has finally, uh, I want to say he broke his silence, uh, but just he hasn't spoken to the media in a while, and usually he doesn't speak. Uh, Kenny is the type that he rather let the, the things on the field speak for themselves, and you know, if he can come on and, and talk about you know when things are going great, you know sometimes he will. Uh, when things aren't going so great, you aren't going so great, he'll be out there as well. Like I remember the last time uh, hearing from him uh, before 2020 was after the botched Manny Machado affair, and now uh, Scott Merkin talks to Kenny Williams, and there's some interesting quotes here uh, about Tony Larusa. Uh, so the basically Merkin frames the article by saying, oh. You know, we were there's a lot of questions in the air if Tony LaRusso will be able to mold with with this youthful, energetic lineup. You know, sort of the same things we've been talking about since uh, Tony LaRusso was hired as White Sox manager. And uh, this is what Ken Williams had to say: "Quote: I've had a number of conversations with him on that topic, and I think that's actually going to be fun to watch. There's an evolution that comes with people sometimes that have had to do a certain things a certain way to garner the success that they've had." Then there are people who stay in that lane, but there's also people who evolve to do it a different way when different circumstances, or in this case, different circumstances and different time periods come about. Through the conversations, I've got nothing but optimism that it will be a fun thing to watch. Herb, what do you make of that, if anything? Uh, Ken Williams now trying to sell us on Tony La Russa, but acting like he's trying to find a silver lining just like many of us are. I mean, he said, I think else in that uh, piece that you know, they went into a room and had some disagreements, but when they came out of that room, they're all pulling on the same rope. So I think he's doing exactly what he said. He's trying to sell himself firstly, and then also present a united front 
not like what Rick did on the day that he announced uh, Tony Russa. So he's actually practicing what he's preached, but he's you know, got a couple weeks to do that. So, yeah, I just think that's what he's doing. He's getting the words out there so White Sox fans they can think that he's on board, which I don't. By earlier in the conversation with Merck, said some words that were, you know, I was like, uh, can he doesn't sound like he's all 100% gung-ho initially. And then he got himself on because he's like, where else am I going to go? <laughs> Who else is going to hire me? This is a nice, cushy job. Oh, I'll stay here. So he, he's that's a made, what I'm doing. Yeah, Kenny's a made guy I'm, there. I mean, we, what does he do? What does Kenny do now? Hey, he scouted Jose Abreu. And, Mar- Marco, and Marco Patty's like, what the hell, man? Marco Patty. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you're Luis Robert? Me too, man. That was all me. Yeah. I told Marco, go out in there and check him out. I was following around Luis Robert when he was 15 years old playing in Mexico. <laughs> like that, Actually, JR, uh, James Fegan wrote a great piece about uh, Marco Patty. You've heard us talk about him a lot of times, you know, the – a special assistant to the GM. I don't, I don't remember his official title, but basically the dude in the Latin American scouting department for the White Sox finally getting some recognition, and I think it's only a matter of time. He's got Abreu uh, on his resume. He's got Luis Robert. He's got Fernando Tatis and Elijah Tatis, who <laughs> he was talking up a little <laughs> bit, uh, talking about how the, how, the, how the glove definitely plays for young Elijah, but they're trying to get that bat figured out. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, Kenny's a made guy, and there's a lot of worse places you could be in baseball than being like Jerry Reinsdorf's right hand man, you know. So mm-hmm. hopefully, for our sake, Kenny was able to, you know. I think Kenny's words have a little bit more sway than Rick's do, or Rick Rick's words does or do whatever, uh, because Kenny at least has the skin is on the wall with the 05 World Series championship. Rickon does not have even a division championship uh, on his wall. So hopefully, Kenny realizes like, hey, we're gonna need you to throw some more money at this team, Jerry, uh, in order to make this work. So hopefully, Kenny is like the strong voice in the room in that regard and and trying to make jerry at least see what what we see out there again this may not matter enough and uh, there is a, a new member of the white Sox coaching staff which we'll get to in a second but hopefully 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 kenny was able to convince jerry of that key uh, aspect and i have not seen the white Sox linked to many people here in this uh, early hot stove uh we, yeah i mean but not many people have been you know you talk about the james mccann thing i remember seeing a report today that the Phillies really want to try to bring uh, Real Muto back. So Mm -hmm. that changes the market for James McCann a little bit. Um, The Mets still have a lot of money. So there's a lot of things still yet to unfold, but I I don't think uh, the offseason is really going to kick into high gear until after the new year. And maybe that's good when you don't hear the White Sox name uh, in in reports linked to anyone. You know, that they were always working best under – Kenny's uh, guidance when they were flying under the radar and they took great pride in that that they didn't have many leaks but of course now uh, we we know they have uh, several leaks and you know when, whenever you want to see some news out there Bob Nightingale's usually got it for you but I hope it's a season of of not a lot of talk and a lots of action uh, by the White Sox in terms of free agency so uh, but yeah, it was, it was good to see uh, Kenny Williams having sort of the same reservations that we had about you know he, he, you know him. How did him and Rick lose that war in, in in a room just with three guys? How did they lose? They they had two out of three. I know Jerry's vote uh, is, is, is comes with a lot yeah. more gravitas, but good God, <laughs> I, I mean, I would have loved to be in that, that room. Yeah, one could say that you know yeah Jerry could make up his mind on something, but. Lawyer Rick Hahn and uh, Stanford educated Kenny Williams, <laughs> it's their job to talk him out of things that he has impulses on to make sure that he understands what's 
he's going forward and, you know, use the leverage that you do have, which is your work, your job to, you know, make sure that he knows that you won't stand by while a circus is being done and you're ruining the team. So they didn't do a good enough job, even though the man probably was pigheaded and wanted to just go forward. It's part of their job to say, no, that's not a good move at all. We're baseball people. You stay your in, in your lane. I mean, I mean, I know that would, wouldn't really go over well, but hell, you gotta st- you gotta stick up for what you believe in. Sometimes you gotta stand on the table and make sure that you know that, or that the people that are making the decisions know that you're objecting to what's going on. So, I I blame them for not letting Jerry know exactly how they felt. So there is a new member of the White Sox coaching staff there. They continue yes. to, to, to plow through this thing. And there was uh, some news that broke on Monday, shortly after we dropped the mailbag, uh, that Tony Larusa will not face uh, any charges. The charges were dropped for his DUI case. But then uh, about an hour later, it said that the charges will be filed again because it, it, it was in the wrong jurisdiction. So a, a different county, I guess, has to file these charges of the DUI. So my... Lifelong dream of seeing a White Sox manager uh, doing a perp walk coming out of out of jail. Uh, it's still in play, um, mm-hmm. so I don't know if this changes the fact uh, how the White Sox see this thing. You know, I don't know if Jerry's gonna you know make a couple phone calls and this case will be dropped in the new jurisdiction. I have no I have no idea how this is gonna play out. You know, Arizona, as we talked about, is pretty strict. With, with the DUI stuff, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think maybe split the difference. Maybe Tony gets out of this with a little community service or whatever. Um, but it certainly has not put things uh, at a standstill for the White Sox as far as them conducting business because they hired Tony's bench coach, or at least whoever's going to be the manager there. Their bench coach will be in place. And this was not – I think we should note this is not – even though Merkin tweeted out uh, uh, an article about it, uh, it has not been named officially yet, but Miguel Cairo is rumored to be the new bench coach for Tony La Russa. And, you know, who knows why they make these hires and who knows if any of these guys are any good or if they help. But we talked about a guy being uh, on Tony's bench, someone who played relatively recently and who's good with people and someone who's been attached to winning organizations. And Miguel Cairo, if you remember, he played baseball for a lot of teams for a lot of years, from 1996 to 2012, uh, ending his uh, career with the Reds in 2012. Uh, he was a Blue Jay, a Cub, a, a Devil Ray back when they were the Devil Rays, uh, the, a Cardinal, and that that's where this matters here, a Cardinal from 01 to 03, obviously playing under Tony La Russa there. He was a Yankee, a Met, a Yankee again, and a Cardinal again in 07, along with the Mariners and Philly. So he's been around the world, and ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> what's the connection here? Well, Miguel Cairo was uh, in the organization of the Reds as a coach, uh, special assistant to Walt Jockety. Walt Jockety, of course, was the GM for the Cardinals when Tony La Russa was there in St. Louis. So there's there's a connection there. He played for La Russa, and most recently, uh, Miguel Cairo has been with the Yankees. What uh, technically wasn't doing anything in 2020 because he was a minor league instructor, so there was no minor league. So, but in 2018 and 2019, he was a, a, a special assistant to Brian Cashman and a infield instructor for the Yankees minor league system. So, a guy who has not been out of the game, who's played a lot, who's played relatively recently. Hopefully, a guy uh, next to Tony who can relate a little bit better anyway 
to today's uh, modern athlete. So I, I, you know, I don't expect, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to dedicate a whole, a lot of whole time to this, but, uh, any, any reaction to Miguel Cairo being <laughs> the bench coach for the White Sox in 2021? I guess. I don't know what Miguel <laughs> Cairo brings to the table. I mean, if it's a Tony pick, fine. It doesn't, I mean, a bench coach, I mean, Tony always speaks the language, right? So maybe, yeah. as we are talking about earlier, maybe Miguel speaks a little bit more. Like, Tony probably speaks it more Castilian or <laughs> baseball Spanish, and then Miguel speaks it more Dominican slash uh, Venezuelan. He's Venice, yeah, uh, Venezuelan. He's 46 years old. Uh, he'll be 47 uh, in next season. So not, the, yeah, not that matters so, or ever. So, you know, a guy under 50, uh, I think I would say overall, good. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe a guy that these guys have seen either Probably growing not. up, growing up playing baseball. This has been baseball forever, or you can respect the uniform and say, "Oh man, this guy's bona fide." So he's been playing all over the field and pitch hitting and playing second and shortstop uh, efficiently. For I remember from the Yankees specifically, but I uh, I'll take your word for you on the, all the rest of the teams he played for. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's um he's he's a good. Uh, name. I mean, nothing. I didn't expect him to get a bench coaching job, but you know, fine. It's fine. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Game. That's that's the perfect way to sum it up. But ultimately, it's probably something that's not going to matter. But a guy in his playing career who was was pretty versatile. So you know, if if you got some ideas, maybe uh, to to put some of these other guys to better use, and maybe uh, shuffle guys around uh, the infield and outfield a little bit. You know, maybe that's a guy who uh, is well experienced in that and can and can assist uh, the players with that. Okay, moving on here. Uh, Mark Burley is on the Hall of Fame ballot for 2021. So what I'm going to do here is I'll run down the official 2021 Hall of Fame ballot, and we'll just get a quick yes or no answer. Uh, you know, this this could be, let's just say if you believe that this player is a Hall of Famer. I won't say will they get in eventually, but you just tell me yes or no whether or not you think this is a Hall of Fame player. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Bobby Abreu. No. Barry Bonds. Yes. I agree. A.J. Burnett. No. Roger Clemens. Yes. I agree. Michael Kadir. Not against no. the White Sox only. This <laughs> <laughs> is like not in Twins Hall of Fame. Only against the White Sox. Uh, Dan Heron. No. Latroy Hawkins. No. Todd Helton. Yes. Okay. Tim Hudson. No. Tory Hunter. No. No, okay. No. Andrew Jones. Yes, and I, that's why Tory's out. I, I agree. Well, I, mm, that's interesting. All right, well, maybe we'll talk about this a little more in depth uh, later on, uh, but, I, but I, I have both of those guys being Hall of Famers. They're both ge- generational uh, center field talents, uh, and obviously Tory Hunter had a lot of, lot of success late in his career, uh, but yeah, overall just one of the best center fielders I, I ever remember seeing. And uh, But yeah, Andrew Jones, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Jeff Kent. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why he's not already in, unless just because he was a jerk. He's one of the best second basemen of all time. Yeah. Held, I think he holds the second base home run record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy, or at least when he was uh, when he was playing, he yelled it. Andy Pettit. No. Aramis Ramirez. No. Manny Ramirez. Yes. I agree. Scott Rowland. Yes. I agree. Kurt Schilling. Yes. Sadly, uh, this is like. <laughs> it, uh, the guy is horrible. 
he was a borderline there's a lot, there's a lot of bad guys in the hall of fame there's a lot of real yes. piece of shit people in the hall of fame so that, like that, when he retired i said you know winning for the d-backs and how they did it's pretty good pretty special you know the boss and the ketchup and shit <laughs> i wasn't a fan of but i was like stats look right and then he became a douche and i was like i don't want that guy to have any glory and you know, not just a douche, just like anti-Muslim, racist, so just a real bad kind of, bad kind of, guy. kind of just a pig, yeah. And you know, yeah. there there are plenty of pigs in Cooperstown, um, but but that's. But I gotta give people their due. If he's he did, the, I mean, yeah, we're talking about the Hall of Fame, and we're talking about if we're just talking about the player, the player is just on the on the bottom of my uh, rung. Okay, um, Gary Sheffield. Chef for me does not make it. No. Okay. This is one of the more interesting cases on on the ballot, I think, because Sheffield is a guy. The numbers are there for him, but he, of course, linked to Barry Bonds that same off season where so many players decide, you know what, we've had enough of this, and you know the the Balco incident, and you know you know you know Gary Sheffield's a guy whose numbers continue to go up as he got older, which is not something you see all the time. But you know, I'm I'm not so sure. This is one of those guys that you know, depending on how I wake up uh, in the morning, I could feel a different way about it. But Gary Sheffield was on a, was a guy who was on a Hall of Fame pace, I believe, up until the the Balco incident. But then you know, it leaves into question is like, well, how much of it after? He said that the year after he was on um, the 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 cream, I think he was taking, and he said that was like you know his worst year ever. Uh, but the, but then the home runs, the power went up again. You know, after hitting only 25 in 2002, which is the year in question, he hits 39, 36, 34, and then uh, you know he tapers off a little bit more, like how you would expect a guy to taper off naturally in their career. So yeah, this is an interesting case for me. You know, I, I think the body of work is there even with that in question. But if, I, if I'm I'm a yes to a bond to bonds guy, um, so I think I would say yes to Gary Sheffield as well. Uh, but we'll talk about a lot of these things, uh, you know, sort of later on in the offseason as as the uh, the ballot is officially announced. We've got a few more names here before we get to our guy. Uh, another interesting guy here, Sammy Sosa. Yes. Okay. I think I'm a no on Sammy just because, you know, he, he, he wasn't a guy like Bonds who I saw before, you know, the, the steroids. You know, he, he wasn't a Hall of Famer before. All of a sudden, you know, then he's juicing up, and all of a sudden he becomes a an all world player. Like there's so many doubts when I look at Sammy, but I don't have those doubts looking at Bonds because my eye test said he was one of the best all around players in baseball before he decided to say fuck it in 2002 and, and become a monster. So yeah, but I, I I can you know see the case be made for for Sammy though, but for me personally, uh, that's a no. Uh, Nick Swisher. <laughs> Tommy Bahama. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, what, well, let's, let's ask Ozzy about, Ozzy about Nick Swisher. I hate him as a person. I know he didn't as a player. Right. Oh, okay, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, though. Thank you, Ozzy. Uh, <laughs> Shane Victorino. No. <laughs> Omar Vizquel. No. This is a funny one I've seen on Sox Twitter, the 108 guys. And I, like that, the, the common thing with Omar Vizquel is my dad says he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> anecdotal dad vote. Omar Vizquel is that guy because he played probably the best defensive shortstop ever in history, but he you know neglected to bring a bat with him <laughs> for most of his career. So, yeah, I think I'm a no on Omar as well. That, but uh, you have to be pretty bad offensively to not make it in with that, with that all-world glove. Uh, Billy Wagner. No, uh, no, no. I, I, people say Trevor Hoffman. He has better stats than Trevor Hoffman, who is in. I, 
you know, I could see it. I wouldn't necessarily have Trevor Hoffman in my Hall of Fame either. So, yeah. no on Billy Wagner. Uh, Barry Zito. No. Okay. So, that leaves us with our guy, good old number 56, Mark Burley. Now, this one leaves a little bit more room for a nuanced discussion. I'll open it up to this. Before I have two two tiered question here for you. I'll ask you the first part of the question now. Do you think Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer? You're asking me this in what type of sense? Like in the general, like right now, gut. If I was a voter, the same way we're looking at these other guys, like yes or no. What does your gut tell you about Mark Burley, Hall of Fame player or no? If I was being honest with myself. And take it's very hard. It's off. so very hard. It's very hard to be honest about. I would this guy. say no. He would not be a Hall of Famer. Okay, um, I, I would tend to agree. Um, second part of the question: Do you think he'll make it in eventually? Yes, I do. Okay, I, we're in agreement I there. Do that's going to happen? Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, because that's he's at, he's one of these guys. When you talk about pitchers, we're kind of at a crossroads because he's right there, the demarcation point of guys. No longer winning 20 games a year, typically. Um, you know, bullpen usage changed at the end of his career. He's a guy also that that retired probably sooner than most guys would have. I think Mark Burley could have eked out another couple of good seasons and maybe inch closer to that 300 victory mark. Um, he was an all-star the year before he retired, uh, So, but he's a guy that clearly has other interests that he'd much rather be uh, up in a, in a tree somewhere uh, hunting deer or whatever the hell this they do. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a guy who I think could have hung on and, and, and you know garnered some of that CC Sabathia attention and maybe caught on somewhere, got another ring maybe, but he didn't. Um, but the way it stands right now, I, I think he will eventually get in. Now, when is that? I don't know. But I think his numbers are going to age like a fine wine over the over the next 10 years or so. People are going to look at, at Mark Burley's accomplishments and be like, damn, this guy was really, really, really good. And I think he'll get in just on the guise of we're going to have to change the way we look at pitchers from this point on. Uh, like sort of after Mark Burley, after CC Sabathia, we're going to have to look at guys a whole nother way in terms of if they're Hall of Famers or not, because the, the wins, we know the win stat just isn't as important as it once was, and especially now with the way pitchers are used, they're not, they don't even qualify for wins a lot of the time, but that doesn't even mean that they did a bad job just because the era that, that we're in now. But I think eventually Mark Burley will get in because he was so beloved by by the media that covered him and guys that played with him, guys that played against him. So I think all those things work in his favor. And it's not like his his track record is just unimpressive, uninspired. Like, you know, the World mm-hmm. Series champion, you know, multiple time all stars, two hundred plus wins. Like, you know, this guy's got a two, great two perf- uh, two not, no hitters. Yeah, exactly. Game. A save in a World Series. Like they don't win that World Series without Mark Burley that year. So that's part of it too, when you can break uh, a curse, not a curse, but you can break a, a World Series championship drought of 88 years that the White Sox had in 2005. I think that means something too when you're talking Hell, about. I think being a 38th round pick and making it to the, I mean, making it to the league is already a huge accomplishment. Being a starter on the team, pretty much the same year you got drafted, a huge accomplishment. And then the guy goes on to be an All Star. So this story. And how he came from nothing, a community college in in Missouri, and now he's on the ballot to maybe be a Hall of Famer. I know most people get on the ballot, then they fall off if they need to. But I think just, you know, after a while, 
you know, we're going into this era where pitchers are not hitting the fifth or sixth inning on a consistent basis. And his, what is it, 10 years of 200 innings or more and 10 plus years of 10 wins or more, those are going to stand out. The gold gloves are going to stand out. All the accomplishments as a guy who's drafted 38th over in the 38th round are going to stand out. And eventually, you know, we got Harold Baines in the, in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure that somebody's going to go to the table and say, Mark Burley deserves the respect that he needs. And I see uh, on the chart that you have, and the guy that Hawk usually <laughs> compared him to the most yep. is one of his 10 most similar pitchers who's in the Hall of Fame, which is Catfish Hunter. So I think Mark Burley eventually, like a, uh, a old players uh, thing, like, man, Burley was one of the best in the league, and one of those Hall of Famers will eventually let him in or they'll strong-arm him like Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, Tony Russo did with Harold Banks. Well, that's the thing. Like, in 10 years when Burley's, you know, off the ballot and he's a guy waiting to get that call, who's going to lobby on his behalf, you know? Jerry, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. He'll still be <laughs> with us, friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope, Yeah, that, that'll be an interesting podcast 10 years from now when we're talking about Jerry Reinsdorf bringing back Ozzie Guillen finally yeah, <laughs> finally. Well, yeah. when i'm on my deathbed it's <laughs> gonna be like hey guys uh, we got like 20 more years competing i'm, I'm still here yeah so I haven't won one yet though but yeah I, I think burley you could make the argument i think that that he's a hall of famer right now uh, but I just think the the numbers aren't wow oh my god first ballot guy but maybe you know second or third try I think you can you can argue it you know the numbers will age very nicely I think five time all star started an all star game in 05, um World Series champion four time Gold Glove award winner so you know he's he's one of those guys right there on the on the cusp and I think you just need. Uh, the, those writers to maybe who covered him and and you know probably adored covering him. You know, I think I think that's going to be a huge part of this. I don't think he gets in on the first ballot. I don't think he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I don't know how many of these guys on this list here are actually going to get in this year. I don't I don't think all of a sudden they're going to start letting the quote unquote steroid guys in. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, you're looking at a year where I think. What do you think, Todd Helton? Maybe. A guy maybe that, that that would get in here. He, yeah, you know. I think. I mean, people would of course uh, argue against it because of his whole career being played in Coors Field or the altitude up there in Denver. But I think normalized his numbers to like you know just uh, weighted runs created plus and OPS plus. He's still pretty good. Pretty good a Hall of Famer. Played a solid first base for many years. Absolutely. All right. So let me see. I think that's does it for us on this Sunday night. Uh, oh yeah, we got real quick zips projections, and I beat hand sent us an email about the zips projections. Like who the hell cares about these? Um, the very early numbers here for zips projections are out for the 2021 White Sox, and they haven't done all the teams yet. So I, you know, it doesn't say where they believe the White Sox will finish. But just looking at some of the uh, projected numbers, basically zips is the, the FanGraphs projection system. Uh, very, this very early because it doesn't account for free agent signings, which is like, you know, why are we even talking about it? Because, you know, it basically, so for guys who we know are leaving or possibly leaving, um, they, they take those guys into account. Like you'll see that James McCann, not on this list, but for some reason, um, Nomar Mazzara is, and maybe they believe that he'll come back, uh, you know, just for another one year prove it deal, which is possible. But the initial 
projections had Encarnacion a part of the mix. But since then, they've they've taken that out since Edwin, uh, his option was not picked up. But just just looking at it, just you know, looking at the numbers of everyone, um, the only thing that stands out to me is they think that Jose Abreu will will regress a little bit, which is understandable. Like we don't expect him to to put up 162 RBIs next year. And, you know, just a guy that age, typically they don't get better with age. You know, the season was kind of an anomaly in a, in a 60 game shortened season where he could have a, a really great spurt out there and, and get himself an MVP award. But I don't anticipate that continuing maybe, you know, first half of the year comes out like gangbusters, but then maybe tapers off a bit. Um, but also Dallas Keuchel, they think is not going to, you know, have a strong year as he did in 2020, which I can also see. Um, mm-hmm. but guys, they, they are high on here. Luis Robert, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, obviously everyone's high on Luis Robert. Uh, but the Dylan Cease and Dane Dunning thing, maybe two guys, uh, and Kopech as well, also on the list of guys who they look at favorably. Um, they see Giolito as a guy who will still get about, you know, five and a half war a guy will maintain his, his, uh, elite status, uh, in the top of your rotation. But, uh, you're looking at Dylan Cease and Dane Dunning. Cease they have projected for a two-win player. I believe he was he was negative uh, a win player. I think in 2020 this year, and then Dane Dunning being a, a huge factor for the White Sox this year, and Michael Kopech they think is going to have a strong year uh, with a, uh, a a 1.1 win above replacement. So you know these are guys here who are, there's a lot of question marks on these guys, but hopefully someone like Ethan Katz coming in can help and put Dylan Cease. And Dane Dunning and Michael Kopech over the top. And, you know, the one thing that's notable here is that they don't have a big free agent acquisition coming here. So they're saying if the roster is the way it stands now, if they just fill these spots with the guys that are already there, this is what they project. So when you look at these projections, anything else stand out other than what I just mentioned? I think that was the, the biggest thing there. Yeah, I think uh, the fact that they have Robert as the best everyday player not it surprised me a little but then i sit back and think about it second year he's going to be coming in better with the bat because he struggled in the middle of the season and then the glove will improve i mean the glove is still you know 100 percent good but you know some of those plays back towards the wall and close to the wall he hasn't mastered as yet i think you know second third fourth year he'll improve on you know either his peripherals or his uh, courage to hit that wall a little harder or to actually go up and go and get a ball he almost got one this year uh on a home run robbery but yeah 3.7 of f4 for robert kind of surprised me that he's the highest guy who plays every day but also yeah now i can look at it and see that he's going to be that guy and i'm surprised that they don't think Moncada is going to be better than just a 3.3 uh, I think the year before he was in like a six F four guy, uh, 2019. So, you know, a year removed from COVID and a whole off season to train, to get his body better. Or if it, if it can improve like that, I think Yoan Mankata is going to be a five war player. I'd have to agree. And, you know, I don't think it should surprise anyone that Luis Robert is viewed as the best player on the team. I think he will be for the next decade. Uh, once he can f- figure out, uh, you know, sort of put those September struggles behind him, which he certainly appeared like he did once the postseason got going. But they, they do know that it's tough to project Tim Anderson. Uh, they have him listed as a 2.9 war player. Um, but again, I love when people 
you know, when uh, people criticize Tim Anderson. I love when he has the opportunity to prove people wrong. Again, you're going to hear, you know, when the projections come out, guys, you know, they, they get upset at where the team is and where they were individually, you know. But you know, these, these things, you know, it's just something for us to talk about here as it sits on uh, November 22nd. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And they do not have Column A being a part of the mix. They have Bummer being uh, the, the big man in the back end of the bullpen, which I do not love. Um, but you know they've got Jimmy Gunn still, Dunning playing a role out of the bullpen as well as Ronaldo. But of course, uh, still Evan Marshall, Cody Hoyer, Matt Foster, Jace Fry. I, I would love to see uh, them bring back Colome to to fortify that ninth inning spot. That way, you can use Bummer uh, when the, the leverage is at its highest. So hopefully, they 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 make some moves there and and, and fortify that bullpen a little bit. But uh, yeah, man. So you know, we'll we'll talk about maybe some of the other teams in the division. Uh, they've, the White Sox was the first one, I believe, they did for the AL Central. But they talk about, you know, the the Indians are gonna their projections are gonna look a little bit different without Frankie Lindor and other guys of note, and with uh, you know uh, Clevenger going elsewhere. Um, you know, so how about that? By the way, Clevenger for the uh, the Padres getting that big extension, and then they announced the same day uh, that he's gonna have the Tommy John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably got him for cheap. You know, I, one of the reasons why I didn't want Clevenger in the White Sox, multiple reasons, is because of his age. I think he's going to be 30 years old next year, and you know, now he's got the elbow problem. He was going to be a guy that is way too old to be commanding big-time money. He got a decent deal, some security for his family and himself, uh, and he'll be out pretty much all next year. So, yeah, I wasn't interested in getting him. He's a talent. He's great, but uh, I'm good. And I hope a speedy recover for him and the Padres. Absolutely. Well, I think that wraps it up here for this special Sunday night edition of locked on white Sox. A lot of newsy socks, things that we couldn't get to this week, but uh, I think we uh, have, uh, have cleansed ourselves uh, of the wrongdoing there. And we finally, you now know our thoughts on Miguel Cairo. I know it's been eating at you guys, you know, I get a lot of texts, a lot of emails, phone, <laughs> phone calls to my home, which I think is a little bit excessive. I got a letter uh, <laughs> in the mail. I was like, who knows my, me- my message on my mail already. And then, why would you sit in snail mail? So it's ridiculous. So it looks like we're gonna have another two two part mailbag series here for Monday and Tuesday. So looking forward to that. We have a lot of batshit crazy off the wall trade proposals, which I absolutely adore, especially from people who have never emailed us before and they're just checking in. Like here we go, it's my first time checking in, but here's my crazy trade. I love it. We're here for all of it. I'll entertain any of those emails. And how can they do that? How can they send us a a, a, a crazy email for the mailbag? Ooh. You email lockedonsocks at gmail.com, lockedonsocks at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your comments, anything you want to send us. Bad trade proposals, whatever you want to write about. The Bachelorette, we won't answer them. I've watched only one episode of that show, and now I'm uh, I'm supposed to be watching the next one uh, from last week. But if you want to send us a question about that, I'm starting to watch it. So send me a question about that if you're also watching. Because it's a black Bachelorette, I think this is like the second time, Tanny. <laughs> we're in the house um so for chris Tannehill, you can follow him on chris Tannehill on twitter my name is herb lawrence ector wall 23 on twitter the show is at locked on socks on twitter and on instagram so thank you for joining us for this special sunday night edition of locked on socks <laughs>